We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to a Tuesday edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Tuesday, July 7th. Nick Whalen joined, as always, by Alex Barutha. Alex, uh, I'm currently watching Brandon Trish, former Syracuse standout, shoot a free throw. Uh, Eric Diebendorf is present on the bench for this TBT Syracuse team. So even though we are still uh, a solid, what, 23 days away, from NBA basketball, um, things are starting to to look a little more right in the world with with Eric Diemendorf on your TV. <laughs> I think uh, I think Ethan Happ was in that tournament too, right? There's a lot of names in this tournament. It's not necessarily names. it's not really like a good thing if you're playing in it. Like it's it's really fun for people who followed college basketball for the last 15 years to see a lot of your favorite players who, uh, um, basically, if they're playing in this, it means they probably didn't make it in the NBA. So that I think that's the reason Syracuse 
has such a good team in this thing every year. Like I, I, I think James and I talked about this on the pod a while back, but um, Syracuse has not had a great run of NBA prospects, uh, basically going all the way back to Mello in 03. They've had a lot of players drafted, but not a lot of players that have turned into viable, consistent, long-term NBA players. Yeah, I don't, I mean, some of the, uh, some of those teams are like guys from all the same college, right? And some other teams are yeah. more of a mismatch. That's how, at least how I understand it. Yeah, it seems like most of them are built around like a core of players from the same college. And then they'll grab others who, you know, they've met along the way. Obviously, a lot of these guys have played overseas, so they have plenty of connections there. Um, but I'm looking at all the players from Syracuse who uh, who were drafted in the last 17 years here. And Mello is obviously by far the best. I mean, after that, I think there's a case to be made that the next best player is Michael Carter Williams. <laughs> I mean, in terms of minutes played, only one, two, three, four other players have even reached 10,000 minutes uh, other than Anthony, who's played almost 40,000. And those are Hakeem Warwick, Wes Johnson, Deion Waiters, and Jeremy Grant. Uh, and, and then Carter Williams is just under 10,000 minutes. Well, we're going to see some Deion Waiters in the bubble, hopefully. We are. We are. I, I think we're going to see probably more of him than anyone who's rooting for the Lakers would prefer. Um, I mean, we, we talked a little bit about about the Lakers signing JR, I believe, last week. That that happened, I think, the day before we recorded. I, I think I'd rather have Deion Waiters playing 15 minutes a game than JR at this point, which I understand is kind of a ridiculous thing to even say. Uh, <laughs> I'm really not sure, honestly. Well, think about it. I mean, KCP is going to start. Danny Green's going to start. LeBron's going to start. AD's going to start. And likely JaVale McGee. Um, so basically, they're same starting five. You're just swapping in KCP for Avery Bradley. I mean, those five are going to play heavy minutes when it when it comes to the second, third, maybe fourth round of the playoffs. But you still have to play at least seven guys and probably eight guys. And you can't just go big and like, unless you're going to play Kyle Kuzma at the two or use Markeith Morris, you know, as... as kind of a small ball three or basically they're going to be in a position where they have to turn to one of those guys at some point. Yeah. I, uh, oof. I, yeah, it sounds like from what I think JR said, he's just going to focus on trying to hit open threes. I don't expect uh, Deion Waiters yeah. to simply, I don't expect either of them really, but I especially don't expect Deion Waiters to simply focus on hugging his open threes and yeah. playing good defense. Yeah, I, well, I guess I I should correct myself, but I didn't realize that Jr. was just going to hit open threes, so that changes things. Um, if, he's, <laughs> if he's just going to make every open three pointer that he that he shoots, then this will be a great pickup for the Lakers. Yeah, I don't think Dion's in that same frame of mind. Like I think he's one of those guys that until the day he plays his last minute in the NBA, will like always be on a mission to become the greatest player in NBA history. Like, <laughs> I, I think Lance Stevenson had that mentality for a long time. Yeah, very similar mentalities. Like I wish, I wish Lance was here somehow. I'm surprised he's not playing in the TBT. Do we know that he's not? Uh, I would guess not. I feel like we would have heard about that, right? I would think so. Yeah, I, I would think that someone would have alerted us. Um, so we actually have some. I would, I would say, fairly major news. I'll, I'll, I'll put that label on it today. Uh, both Bradley Beal and Spencer Dinwiddie have opted out. Um citing concerns over uh for Beal uh a shoulder injury 
I guess that we maybe we had heard about this. I honestly kind of forgot that he was dealing with a shoulder injury. There's certainly the chance that if the Wizards were the three seed in the East, I, I think it's safe to say there's a good chance Bradley Beal would be playing. But the shoulder issue combined with all the other concerns, combined with the fact that the Wizards, whether he played or not, were going to be very much overmatched, uh, means that he will not be joining the team in Orlando. So I, I saw a Wizards beat writer, I think it was Fred Katz, um, Pose the question, and I, I posed this in, in my article on the site yesterday as well. Who is now the Wizards' best player? Is it Shabazz Napier? Is it Thomas Bryant? Is it Isaac Bonga? I think it's Thomas Bryant, but not by a lot. I mean, I this is a I'm looking at this potential starting lineup right good. now. It's not Napier, good. Napier, Troy Brown, Jerome Robinson, Hachimura, Thomas Bryant. I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I mean, you have two guys in Troy Brown and Jerome Robinson who were, uh, you know, high-ish first half of the first round picks. Robinson was a lottery guy. I think Brown went 15. Neither of those guys have looked very good at all. And Brown has had some moments. The Clippers gave up on Jerome Robinson basically immediately. That's that's the reason he's even here in the first place. It's not going to be good. I, I think there's a pretty good chance that they go like one and seven or zero oh and eight. Uh, in Orlando. And this is kind of a gift to the Nets who are almost equally undermanned. And I think if Brad Beal was playing for Washington, you know, there's at least a case to be made that the Wizards would have by far the best player between those two teams. Would that ultimately be enough to narrow the gap to that four game window that they would need to force the tournament? I don't know. Um, But it would have at least made things interesting. And now, now I think it's just going to be like a really sad crawl to the finish for Brooklyn, Orlando and Washington probably one of the most depressing like ends to the, I mean and we've seen some bad basketball in oh yeah you know, the last eight games of regular seasons before um but yeah I mean we're gonna have you know the Wizards led by Thomas Bryant facing off against the Nets led by Karis LeVert and Chris Chioza I think probably starting at point guard you got some you know Timothy Luabu Cabarro minutes um you know Kuruks might have to play some backup center Lots of dynamics uh, going on here. Yeah, and this is assuming that everyone stays healthy through this right, entire right. period. And it's, all, it's only eight games, but, I mean, like, a couple a couple guys get COVID or suffer an injury of some sort, and things get even crazier. But uh, that Tyler Johnson pickup for Brooklyn suddenly looking pretty good. I, I think we might have to bump him up on our projected depth chart. Um, I, don't, I don't know how much how much trust they've placed in Chris Chioza, but... I mean, at least Brooklyn has Joe Harris. They have Jared Allen, um, Torian Prince. Like, they at least have, like, proven rotation players in the NBA. They might not be great players, but league average to slightly above league average. Whereas, I mean, other than Thomas Bryan and, I guess, Shabazz Napier, who's been, like, reasonably good uh, the last couple of years. I, I mean, the Wizards are the closest thing, I think, that we're going to see to, like, a legitimate G League roster. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would agree. Uh, it's... I I really don't know what they're even going to do. Like, dude, are they even going to... I don't even know why Scott Brooks shows up. Like, they should just have those guys, you know, just send them out there and play ball, you know? Yeah, what's the penalty if this, the whole team doesn't show up? Can they, dodge <laughs> them? Can they just take, the way, take away the pay of everyone? I don't know. Uh, but that's enough talk about the Wizards. I have nothing else to say about them. They, they were last in my power rankings that I put up yesterday for a reason, and that was before we even knew that Brad Beal was going to sit out. <laughs> uh, that certainly solidifies that status. We should talk about Victor Oladipo, who 
uh, I think the day after we published our pod last week, announced that he won't be playing in the resumed season. This one is a lot more interesting to me for a number of reasons. One, Indiana is not necessarily a title contender, but they're a hell of a lot closer than Washington or Brooklyn. And I, I think with a healthy Oladipo coming off of another four and a half months of rest, you know, there was a, there was a chance that if this went the completely opposite direction and he came back with a vengeance and you know looked like the guy we saw two years ago, all of a sudden that changes things and maybe Indiana does jump into that conversation of you know a team that could that could pull an upset on Milwaukee at some point in the East playoffs. Instead, you know, it, it now creates this situation where it hasn't been explicitly revealed like how this is how this is broken down, but it kind of seems like it's Oladipo versus the organization where the organization essentially made him say, I will be choosing to sit out, not we're holding you out. Uh, yeah, I was listening to um, the Hoop Collective podcast, I think it's called now. I can never remember. And Brian Windhorst, and they compared it to like the Kawhi Leonard situation where the Spurs were like, you're healthy, so it's up to you, really. And Kawhi's like, I'm not going to play. Uh, and this kind of mirrors that. Not exactly the same. But the vibe between the player and organization is similar. And it's just weird because he had been playing and had had been looking good. And I saw in uh, the article, I, I forgot who wrote it, uh, for The Athletic, you know, I think his trainer was saying that he's in the best shape of his career or something. But he's not. But they're still worried about his leg. But how can you... Like it, it, it seems like there's a lot of conflicting information. Yeah, I, I think the Kawhi comparison is really not that far off. Um, it, it, it does seem like there is a lot of lip service being done behind the scenes, I think, by both sides, where you start to look toward a future contract extension. And I think I don't I think neither side wants to like slam the door on the other when it comes to that. Um, and obviously there's interest on Oladipo's side and, you know, the side of his trainer and his agency to, uh, you know, talk him up and preserve his value as much as they can. He's under contract through next season at 21 mil and then completely unrestricted the summer after that. So, it, I mean, it's a tough call. I mean, it's obvious that the team wanted him to play, um, which is interesting from the perspective of if you're Oladipo, you'd think and, you know, you want to stay in Indiana long term. Um, you'd think you'd want to do all you can to preserve that relationship and obviously maximize your earnings on that next contract. But at the same time, it, it's really clear that he, for whatever reason, just did not feel comfortable. And I, I think the, the the primary, I guess, storyline or um, I don't know what the right word is, but the, the party line from Oladipo has basically been, you know, contrary to what I suggested, that this time off could actually help him and, you know, he would come back a more fully healed than he than he looked when he came back in January and February. It sounds like the break actually hurt him in terms of trying to ramp back up to 100%. You know, I think the the inability to get to the facility and rehab uh, the same way he was in January, February, and March kind of ended up setting him back rather than giving him more time to heal. Yeah, that that seems like it's the case. Um, but I mean, it's it's interesting that he'll still be there. Like I right. assume he'll be doing rehab work there. Mm-hmm. Um, I I can't I, I didn't see anything on whether or not like this is a permanent decision, you know, because I they can't they can't uh, replace him. They can't replace his roster spot because he's going to the bubble. So I don't know. Can he like if they get to the Eastern Conference finals, can Oladipo be like, well, actually, 
I feel pretty good and well, I'm here. That's a good question. I don't know if this will work. Like in baseball, you you can submit a new roster from round to round, you know, where you could leave you could leave someone off of the ALDS roster, but if they're healthy for the ALCS, then they could make that roster. I don't know if there's going to be a hard date where if you know if you're not on the roster on July 28th, you can't join at any point. But like you said, the fact that he's in Orlando, uh, assuming he's not, um, you know, not, assuming they don't use him as like a replacement player, I think that's a possibility. I mean, I it would make sense for him, I guess, not to suggest that and and get anyone's hopes up. But I mean, considering that this could go on until you know if things if the Pacers go crazy and make the finals, this could be mid October. At that point, I don't know what would stop him from coming back. Yeah, you would think by that point he'd be, you know, back into the swing of his rehab enough. You, you would know. think. I mean, you would think that. So I, I mean, I don't want to say it's like worth monitoring, but I think it does get interesting the farther the Pacers get in the playoffs, and um, you know, right now they would face off against uh, I think Miami yeah. in the first round, and that's a relatively even series, and. Um, you know, I mean, that's, that's another, you know, that series is going to take two, three weeks, mm-hmm. or I guess probably or if it goes the full seven games. Right. Um, yeah. So I don't know, maybe he could come back. It does seem like not having Oladipo has kind of been the official death now for, you know, people just writing off Indiana. And I, I think not having him at all, you know, the, not having the possibility of him coming back as this, you know, all NBA defender type of player it definitely eliminates the possibility of them, like in my mind, making the conference finals or making the finals. But I don't, I mean, if it's like Miami, Indiana as the four five or Miami, Philly or Miami, Boston, or um, excuse me, Indiana, Boston, like I don't, I don't think it's that far fetched to think Indiana could hold its own in a series. I mean, they were basically without a healthy Oladipo all year. And when he came back, he probably hurt them more than he helped them. And they still finished with the same record as Philly. And they're only two games back of Miami. Yeah, I mean they're they're really like in the you know they're they're pretty much entrenched in like that second tier of the Eastern Conference, mm-hmm. which encompasses everyone except like Milwaukee and the very bottom feeders. Um, right. And so yeah, and you mentioned they the one slide they kind of went on was when when Oladipo came back. Um, they're only you know I think four wins behind Boston, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, you know their plus minus is basically the same as like Philly. Denver, OKC, that kind of team. So, like, yeah, if they if they made it, you know, I I don't think it should necessarily shock anybody if they made the Eastern Conference Finals. It would be, I mean, it'd be obviously like a pretty big underdog story if they got there. But um, you know, because of I mean, their bench is is going to be an issue. But if they get, you know, if they get top play out of their starters, you know, if Brogdon, Sabonis, and Miles Turner all have really good playoff runs. It's definitely possible. It's just I, I don't know what you're going to get from T.J. McConnell or Aaron Holiday or um, T.J. Warren or any anybody like that. So Jonathan Isaac officially joined the Magic as they entered the bubble today. They've been very, uh, very careful not to, you know, say too much about his status. We've heard very little about his rehab even uh, since that initial injury, which I, I think was back in January. Uh, but the fact that he's you know, going with the team, I, I think is a huge step in the right direction. As of eight days ago, uh, Steve Clifford had said that um, Isaac had not returned to any contact drills. So I, I would say the chances of him playing right away aren't great, but I, I think it's kind of another Oladipo situation where 
they're not ruling it out. And I, I would say this is probably more likely uh, than Oladipo playing, uh, given how long he's been out and, you know, just kind of the convenience even of, of this for Orlando relative to other teams. I'd be pretty surprised now at this point if we don't see Isaac, maybe not during these first eight games, but maybe for round one of the playoffs, assuming Orlando is able to hang on to a spot. Yeah, that seems possible. Um, yeah, again, it, it might be a situation where they just have to get him in the gym and going right. through drills with everyone else to see how he feels. Um, that Clifford quote is kind of funny considering, like, was he <laughs> was he supposed to be doing contact stuff during coronavirus quarantine? Yeah, um, that's a good point. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I could see him, you know, I could see the argument for both sides where it's like you want him to get the playoff experience, even if it is, you know, uh, potentially facing the Bucks and getting annihilated. Or you could say, what's the point of even bringing him out there? Uh, or having him play, so I can I can see both sides, but yeah, it would be it would be nice to see him play. I mean, just from a perspective of first round, it would you know at least make things interesting where you'd have yeah. you know Isaac on Giannis most of the game. I mean, if you're looking at the Magic roster, is he is he like pretty easily the number one asset they have? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think so. I mean, I'm partial to like Vucevic. Like, I think Vucevic is pretty good, but his like, I, there's not going to be a lot of teams that like want to take on that contract. Yeah, and, I'm, I'm not saying best player. I'm saying best best asset. I mean, Vooch turns 30 in October. Best asset for sure. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's Aaron Gordon at this point. He, I mean, he had a great Aaron Gordon had a great end of the season, and his contract is is you know structured to the point where. Uh, it's it's descending, and I could see a team being interested in him as like a small ball five or something. I think some I don't know if there was like rumors about him potentially going to the Rockets um, to kind of be a part of that front court, but yeah, I think I do have to agree with you. It is probably Jonathan Isaac at this point. I think we agree. Like Gordon needs a change of scenery at some point. There's no question about that. I mean, we're we're six years into this thing, and his last three seasons have been varying degrees of like basically the same with, you know, moderate improvement as a passer. Uh, looked like he had maybe turned a corner as a three point shooter last year, shot just about 35% on four and a half attempts, you know, was at six attempts per game the previous year, 34%. And then this year back down to 30% and fewer attempts, you know, not even four per game, uh, despite playing basically the same minutes load. So, I mean, I I think a lot of people have tended to pile on Gordon because of that. I, I still like him. Like, if I were the Rockets or whatever team, like, I would be more than willing to take a chance on him, assuming you're not giving up too much. Um, but for Orlando, I mean, I just, I don't see, I don't see him turning the corner unless something significant changes with that system for them. Whereas, I mean, Isaac, I don't, I don't know if he'd be on the short list for most improved player had he not gotten hurt, but through 32 games, 12 points a game, seven rebounds, one and a half assists. 2.4 blocks, 1.6 steals. Like, if he wasn't going to be on the short list for most improved, he was going to be on the short list for all defense. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. But he, I mean, if you have those numbers, you like have to make all defense. And um, yeah. I'm still not. I, I don't really have a ton of confidence in his, um, like his offensive game. But I mean, if you know, if you can get 12 to 15 points a game relatively efficiently, not even like that efficient, and be you know, over like way over three combined steals and blocks. Mm -hmm. uh, you're, I mean, you're clearly one of the best defenders in the league. It's not even close. Yeah. I, I think the lack of 
like major offensive production probably would have hurt him in terms of most improved. You know, you see 12, 12 points, seven rebounds, and it's kind of hard to put that up against what like Bam Adebayo or Brandon Ingram or Jason Tatum have done this season. But I mean, well over three, he's at, he's at a combined 4.0 steals and blocks per game in less than 30 minutes per game. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, people were kind of like hoping this would happen, but there's yeah. a difference between seeing like looking at the per 36 numbers and being like, what if, and right. then he only increases like his, his minutes, you know, basically three more minutes a game. And his, you know, his production is way up. So I, I mean, I kind of want to say it's not sustainable, but he did it through 32 games. You know, it's not like it right. was 15 games or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to, he doesn't qualify for any of the leaderboards, but he would have been, you know, way up there. I think he would have been like second in blocks per game, tied for second and like within the top 10 in steals per game. And um, I'm trying to do quick mental math. Like would have pretty easily led the league in combined steals and blocks. Anthony Davis is at 3.9. And I, I think Whiteside is, is fairly close just because he has so many blocks, but uh, he would have easily been in the top three. And I, I think if I'm doing the math correct, would have been number one in, in combined steals and blocks per game, despite um, really not playing that many minutes. So um, he's a guy like, you know, even if, even if we think Orlando's not going anywhere this year, which is almost certainly going to be the case, I would still at least be excited to see what Jonathan Isaac can do, even if it's only for four or five games. Um, whereas some of these other teams, like it, it's, it's pretty hard to psych yourself up to see four games of Mo Wagner. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that is an understatement. Other minor news today. Um, well, I think this was actually yesterday. Uh, Suns GM, James Jones, totally forgot he was the Suns GM. Um, but he, once again, very cryptically, um, confirmed that Kelly Oubre is going to go to Orlando with the Suns and, I, th- I think it was Shams who actually had a report last month that that the Suns had ruled Ubre out, but apparently he's made better progress than expected, and uh, it does seem like at some point we might see him now in Orlando. I mean, that's. I mean, I still don't expect them to make the playoffs, but if they, if they want to have, if they want to be uh, even remote, I, I think if they even want a remote chance of making the playoffs, they need him there. He's not. Yeah. You know, he's he's not amazing, but. Well, I, I personally, I think he's amazing. <laughs> they uh, they need his, uh, you know. I mean, it, their starting lineup is, uh, you know, they're is really productive when they actually have those guys in there that they want. With Aiden, Ubre, Bridges, Booker, and Rubio, that's a really good lineup. But as soon right. as you take Ubre out of there, it's it becomes really bad. So, yeah, what does that tell you about Ubre? <laughs> Best player in the league, probably. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not willing to completely rule them out just because they are only two games away from the four game gap that would be necessary to force that playoff. But they have a really, really tough schedule, especially compared to what New Orleans, Sacramento and Portland are facing the three teams that they're they're competing against to ultimately challenge Memphis. Um, I mean, they play Dallas, the Clippers, Indiana, Miami, OKC, Philly and Dallas again. Uh, which none of those other teams have anything remotely that close. And I mean, maybe, maybe you catch Dallas on that, in that final game where it's meaningless as meaningless for them, but you know, getting the Clippers in the second game when they'll almost certainly still be playing for something is, is a pretty tough draw. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of been, I, I still think they're, they have enough talent to be good, but oh, for sure. you know, losing, losing Aiden for that time really hurt them. And, 
they really should be in the eighth seed race yeah. here, but they just, yeah. I mean, their top three, on paper at least, of Booker, Aiton, and Ubre is definitely better than Orlando's top three. It's definitely better than Brooklyn, San Antonio, and Washington's top three. It's better than Sacramento's. It, you know, New Orleans and Portland, it's iffy. I, I think Portland has the best player out of those three teams, but I don't know. I mean, like like I said, on paper at least, the, the Suns trio, would you rather have Booker, Aiton, and Ubre or McCollum, Lillard, and Nurkic? Or Mello? <laughs> um, I'd probably still take the Blazers, but it's close. It's pretty close. Yeah, I mean, I I would want Dame more than anybody. Yeah, that's what I mean. And, but, but maybe if you you extend out, I don't know. I just think the Suns' starting lineup is really good. Like it's. I think so too. The pro- it just doesn't lead to wins for whatever reason. No. Yeah, I refuse to accept that those guys aren't as good as as they we think they are. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's not possible. I, I agree. I know. I mean, I like Ricky Rubio a lot. Them, you know, probably more than most people. But he's been. I mean, he's been awesome for them. Yeah, yeah. There's really no excuse for them to be where they are. They shouldn't be 13 games under. They should not be behind Sacramento. They should not be behind San Antonio. Once you get above those two teams, though, it's like it's really hard to make a case that Phoenix is like demonstrably better than Portland or New Orleans or Memphis. But I mean, roster wise, again, like you match up the Memphis roster and the Phoenix roster, and I don't, I don't think those teams should be six games apart. No, I mean, I would pick Phoenix in a seven-game series. I, I won't even really think about it, even yeah, though that I may mean, not be logical based on the right. wins and losses. Right, yeah. There's just something, there's something like ingrained in that franchise. And I, th- I think Sacramento is the same thing. It, it doesn't seem to matter who the personnel is, who the coach is, who the GM is. Like, it, It's just been perpetual underachievement for a full decade. Let's look at the, speaking of bad basketball teams, let's look at the eight teams that will not be in Orlando. So that's six teams in the East, Charlotte, Chicago, New York, Detroit, Atlanta, and Cleveland, and two in the West, Minnesota and Golden State. How would you, this doesn't have to be super scientific, but how would you rank these teams in terms of like how good a shape they're in going forward, whether we're looking at next season, a year or two in advance, um, you know, obviously you can't look ahead too far, but um, kind of doing a reset, like looking ahead to, to 2020, 21, um, is it fair to say that Golden State is the easy number one? Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're kind of yeah. in a different class. They are. They are here because of a fluke, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so Golden State aside. I think for number two, it's got to be between Atlanta and Minnesota, right? Yeah. I mean, this, part of me still likes this Bulls core, but it is it is starting to kind of go down that sun's path. It yeah, I just think I think having Carl Anthony Towns for Minnesota and having Trey Young for Atlanta is so much better than having Zach Levine for Chicago. And Atlanta and Minnesota both have, you know, number twos at this point. And Atlanta just picked up Clint Capella. So like right. Atlanta could could easily like jump over, you know, like that Orlando Washington tier next year and be making the playoffs and we shouldn't be shocked. And I agree with you. I actually really like the Bulls core, but they are, yeah, they're kind of losing. They're losing a lot of steam at this point as something that might be able to work. They have to, if it doesn't work next year, 
it would be surprising if there weren't like if there wasn't a roster blow up. Yeah, I I mean, as much as I love watching Kobe White, like I, I have a hard time believing that he's necessarily going to be super beneficial for the development of the rest of those guys. If that makes sense, you know, like I, I think he's almost it's kind of a Colin Sexton type of thing where like, yeah, the numbers look good and he oftentimes does pass the eye test. But I like I don't I, I think it would be a big mistake if Chicago's like, all right, we're going to build around Kobe White going forward. Like, I think he's a useful player as like a, you know, a, a microwave guy off the bench, maybe your second or third score. But, you know, th- he had that run at the end of the year where he was just going for like 25 every single night on a ton of shots. He's taken like nine, 10, 11 threes and making him at a decent clip, but it wasn't exactly leading to wins. And, you know, as much as we like a lot of those guys on paper, like Wendell Carter has not been able to stay healthy through two seasons. Laurie Markkinen has kind of been the Bulls version of Aaron Gordon in terms of how his development has gone. And it, even though they've had these high draft picks and it, it feels like they've drafted well, right? Like I wouldn't say that they've like dramatically missed on any of these guys, but it also doesn't feel like they're as close to getting back to being a playoff team as they should be considering that they've picked seventh overall in each of the last two drafts. They got, you know, they got the marketing pick, um, which was I think sixth or seventh as well as part of the Jimmy Butler deal. Um, those guys just haven't really grown in, in the same way that other guys drafted before and after them have. No. And I mean, this was another year they, they dealt with a lot of injuries and stuff like that. Like they, I mean, it's, it's like, you know, Thomas Aransky is second on the team in minutes. Thad Young is fourth. Like something clearly went wrong there. Um, but I agree with you. Like their their drafting has been good. I just, it's really hard to complain about getting Wendell Carter and Markinen um, and Kobe White. But it's just it doesn't seem to mesh. And like I think they don't exactly know what kind of like Otto Porter was a good pickup too. And who knows, you know, what would have happened had he played a full season because his I'm looking at the the plus minus numbers right now and he's second on the team, but he only played 300 minutes. Right. Um, even Chris Dunn, Chris Dunn is plus three and Kobe White's minus five, you know. So, like, yeah. what are you even doing there at point guard? Like, is, is you know, White's offense is great, but he's a terrible defender. Dunn's defense is great, but he's terrible on offense. But everyone would say they would rather have. Kobe White. It's just right. Yeah. Yeah, they've they've drafted well on paper, like I said, but it, it doesn't necessarily feel like they've landed a franchise guy or even a guy who's like a borderline franchise guy. You know, I, I think the the expectation if you're picking um if you're picking in that top seven or eight three times in a row, you're at least hoping to come away with, you know, someone like uh like at the very least, like a CJ McCollum, you know, like not maybe not a guy who's a number one, but at least someone you're like, all right, we can we can semi build around this guy. We're gonna need to find another star to eventually put next to him or or kind of be one step above him, but at least we have him locked in. And like right now, like I, is there anybody on this roster other than Zach Levine who the Bulls would be like, this guy's untouchable. There's nothing there's nothing we would do that would enable you to trade for him. And he, and even Levine probably isn't untouchable. Yeah, I don't I don't think there's anybody on this roster that is untouchable. Um, I'm sure they wouldn't want to trade Wendell Carter because we still haven't seen that much of him. Yeah. You know, over the over the first two seasons. But I still think I, I'm with you. I think everyone, including Levine, is is pretty tradable. And if you're trading Levine, it's because you think, right. well, Kobe White's basically the same player from an offensive standpoint, or we hope. And yeah. having two of these guys is redundant, and we'd just rather trade Levine, get assets, 
but then you're you're hard rebuilding again, right? And who who wants to do that? I mean, so if like Brad Beal became available, the Bulls would trade anybody on their roster as part of that deal, right? Like, like there are certain teams that would you know like let's say Denver, like they'd be like I don't know if we want to trade Michael Porter. Obviously, we're not trading Jokic. Like, it's a testament to this roster that I don't think there's one guy that they would say this guy's not available. Yeah, like yeah, like they would give up Kobe White and I'm sure they would like do Kobe White and uh you know, Wendell Carter for Bradley Beal or something like that. I, I think I think if they had the opportunity to put like Beal and Levine together, they would trade any amount of young players to try to get that done. God. That would be something. That would that would be like a kind of like when they put Mello and Iverson together in Denver. <laughs> yeah. It would they would be it would just be like taking turns, you know, it'd be yeah. like kind of almost like that Russ KD where your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn. Yep. Um, at least it'd be I mean, it'd be exciting basketball, more exciting than they're playing now. Yeah, that's actually a good point. So. So, yeah, I think Golden State easily number one for next year. Uh, that, I mean, this, that could be like an all time turnaround going from 15 wins to however many they win next year. Um, but of course that's kind of extenuating circumstances. I'm with you at Atlanta, um, based on the fact that they have Trey Young, Minnesota, based on the fact that they have Cat, and I'm not very high on the D'Angelo Russell partnership, but I mean, when you start to look at the teams that are also in these categories, like no, like Townsend Russell looks pretty great compared to what the Knicks have or the Pistons have or the Hornets have. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, do you, is there a team that stands out to you as a clear number three? Is that just Chicago then? I think it's Chicago. Yeah. Number four. Yeah, number I, four. Guess I, I think it's Chicago. I mean, Charlotte, based on where they were last year, is in way better shape than I think we thought they would be. You know, the emergence of Devontae Graham, Terry Rozier, playing about as well as you could expect, um, you know, based on the, the increased workload and, and the emergence of another guy that we didn't expect in that backcourt. P.J. Washington looks like a, a minor hit uh, in the draft. Um, obviously, they still have some sorting out to do, but... At least, like, Batum comes off the books after next year. Uh, eventually, Bismack Biombo will be gone. Um, like, all the, all the sins of the mid-decade uh, will, will kind of eventually leave that roster, and, and they'll be in better shape. Whereas, you know, like, who, I think it's more interesting to almost talk about the bottom spot. Like, for me, it's Detroit or Cleveland. Um, the Knicks, for all their incompetency, you know, they have R.J. Barrett. You know how I feel about him. They at least have some, like, productive pieces and enough enough pieces to avoid just being like horrific night to night. I still like Mitchell Robinson. I, I don't feel like yeah. Cleveland or Detroit have anybody that I would put in that category. No, the, the RJ Barrett Mitchell Robinson combo is enough to at least be exciting and make you think, you know, like this is, this could turn into something. Um, I don't feel the same way about like the, you know, Derek Rose, Christian Wood combo uh, or the, you know, Bruce Brown, Christian Wood combo. Um, and the thing, the thing about like, uh, Detroit and Cleveland is they both have like that one, they still have like that one piece of the old roster they can't get rid of. Like they, the Pistons have Blake who basically can't be traded at this point because of his contract. And the Cleveland Cavaliers have Kevin Love who basically can't be traded at this point because of his contract, or he could be traded but they feel like what they would get in return for him is like embarrassing. Um, But they should probably just do it. So I don't know who's at the bottom there. Like 
I, I mean, at least the the Cavaliers have Colin Sexton, who looked way better than I thought he would this year. Um, yeah, I mean, I, that, that is I, definitely I, a sentence that can be said. Um, I I think it has to be Detroit, like, because... I mean, Darius Garland, we'll see. There have been plenty of very good, productive NBA guards who have struggled as rookies, and I, I think it's too early to pull the plug on him, certainly. And he didn't look good, but we'll see. I think he deserves at least one more year, probably probably two, to properly evaluate him. Like you said, Sexton is at least going to be like a league average guard um, on the aggregate on both ends. Kevin Love, as much of a burden he is as a contract, still a good player when healthy. Larry Nance, even though he can never, ever crack the starting lineup, no matter how well he plays, still pretty good. Um, and they do have Andre Drummond. So, <laughs> that I mean, yeah, yeah, I mean, at least you got a guy who's going to give you like 17 and 17 on a lot of nights. So, I mean, they, they can at least field a competent NBA roster, whereas we'll see what Detroit does this offseason, whenever the offseason takes place. But, I mean, looking at their depth chart right now, Derrick Rose injured, Svi Mikhailuk, Tony Snell, Blake Griffin injured, and Christian Wood, who I believe is set to become an unrestricted free agent this year or this offseason. So there's a chance he might not even be back. <laughs> yeah, I think they have to take the bog spot then. Um, I mean, I think they would be more fine with being bad than the Cavs, right? Like, yes. I mean, the Cavs, this is the, they've been through this twice with like the post LeBron roster hangover. And they've handled it miserably both times, like just tr- drastically tried to overcompensate for losing LeBron. <laughs> and it just it just like digs their digs them a deeper hole. If they had just gone full rebuild and not tried to like sign Kevin Love to this 45 year deal for nostalgia or keep Tristan Thompson <laughs> around at all costs and trade front. Like none of this stuff made any sense at the time. And it doesn't make any sense now. I mean, I, I were any Cav, Cavs fans after going to the finals four straight years? Was anybody pining for like, hey, we we need to find a way to win 28 games? Like, no, bottom out. It doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, who was who was going to go on, you know, ESPN the that year, the year after LeBron left and with the Cavs at the bottom of the standings and be like, this organization is a disgrace. Right. You know, how could they not win 40 games without LeBron James? The team sucked when LeBron was on the roster too. Like, yeah, they, they went to the finals, but it was a terrible roster. Like, it 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 wasn't like it wasn't like LeBron, you know, left and took half the you know half the good players with him. There there was nobody left. Like, they they willingly took themselves out of the Zion and Morant sweepstakes to just win like three more games, two seasons. Yeah, ago. like yeah, like how little confidence do you have in your scouting? To where you don't even want to entertain the you, you're trying not to even entertain the idea of having to make it like a, a top five draft pick. You're like, no, I don't want. I don't really. I prefer not to deal with that. Yeah, well, think too. They the year before they could have traded that pick and they held on to it, and then ended up basically playing their way out of what would have saved them. You know, like drafting Zion or Morant. They, I mean, it's tough tough to fault them for for how it worked out. You know, I, I think there was probably an expectation two se- or two or I guess three seasons ago now when LeBron was still there and they, they ended up going to the finals and getting absolutely slapped around by Golden State but um I mean they clearly should have traded it back then depending on what was available um you know had they known that it would turn into Colin Sexton yes yeah so they're 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 well I'm they're not the I'm Detroit's still the bottom I mean they hey the Cavs won you know that what they did worked out they're not uh, the worst not- team in the league 
they're not the worst team in the NBA. They are they're in the second worst spot in the NBA. Um, although they're they have a chance of getting there, but they actually have assets that they are theoretically tradable. Yeah, I mean the the Kevin Love thing, like I still think you can get value for him. You're not going to get the same value that they that they would have received two years ago. But I also don't think you're going to have to. It's not going to be like a wildly embarrassing Andre Drummond trade situation. No, that was. Although it might be close. I mean, you'll be able to get something, mostly because the other team's going to have to match salaries. So that means you're probably getting like someone who's at least a name or who was good enough at one point to get that much money. Um, but I, the problem, like the thing with Kevin Love is, even even when he was at his absolute zenith in Minnesota, he was not ever carrying a winning team. So I, I never really understood that model of like, all right, let's take away LeBron and now it's your team, Kevin. Like what was, what was the ultimate goal there? That is a very good question. Uh, I, I think, I don't know. Maybe it's supposed to be like a thank you to Kevin Love. You know what I mean? Like to like, sorry, you had to deal with LeBron and be yeah. like, you know, put in this position, just like shoot corner threes. So, Here's a ton of money. Just just do your Minnesota Kevin Love thing for us. Bring people into the stands to see you go for like 30 and 20. Uh, but at that point, you know, he had lost like 40 pounds and just became a three-point shooter. He wasn't going to like go back, mm. you know. Like, were they going to just put him in the gym and force feed him and just, you know, get him back to being, you know, 20 That would be great. I would love Kevin to see Love. that. I mean, <laughs> like a, a reverse Jokic. Yeah, I mean, that would have been way better, I, you know. I would love to see, like, I don't know if, has anyone ever asked him, like, do you regret losing the weight? That's a good question. I, I, I'm i sure he had more fun playing, like, you know, being the guy in Minnesota, yeah. like, just from an on-court perspective. But obviously, he got a title out of transi- transitioning into, like, a more modern role. Yeah. He's just bad at defense the whole time. You know, it was just a matter of changing his offensive game. Yeah. Yeah, very true. Okay, let's finish out. Um, there's an article on ESPN this morning, uh, a very long article detailing the relationship between Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell. I, we don't have to dive super deep into this. I mean, there's certainly been rumblings about this being not the greatest partnership for a while now. And I think things have only been exacerbated by... Uh, you know, the way that Gobert kind of kicked off this entire COVID thing within the NBA. But I mean, it, I forget which of the two in the article compared it to like a Kobe and Shaq type of relationship. Uh, that's that's a little generous. Um, but maybe in terms of the maybe in terms of like the personalities, that makes sense. Um, I can see Gobert seeing him as seeing himself as like a Shaq like figure. But in the short term, I mean, I'm, I'm inclined to believe that this won't be that big of a deal. I think enough time has passed. I think both guys, I mean, the implication in the article is basically like, look, we're not, we don't like love each other, but we have a a solid working relationship and it's going to be fine. Um, I just think though now, like anytime something goes wrong with this team, whether it's in the Orlando bubble or even trickling into next season, this is out there. And it just seems like what, you know, once you kind of let the cat out of the bag with something like this, it's, it's pretty hard to, go back to a time when everyone thought this was just a, a fine partnership. Yeah. It's kind of turned into like Philly West, right? Yeah. Like people, everybody understands that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid don't like hang out. And it seems like their relationship is very much like yeah. on the court. 
And uh, but the Jazz, I don't know, like their organization comes off as like kind of secretive and like you don't really know what's going on and it's all kumbaya and everything like that. And so they like have this come out. It's I think it seems like a bigger deal and it probably is because there's yeah. this kind of this air around the Jazz organization. But um, it was like, I mean, the the article was interesting. It seems like they both like kind of just don't, you know, I, I, I guess the main things in the article were like, you know, Gobert getting upset when people when especially Mitchell doesn't pass him the ball. And uh, then, you know, like do what? To dunk, apparently. But then, you know, then Mitchell and other teammates get upset that apparently Gobert, I've never seen this really, uh, like a, gets upset on the court and is almost like, you know, gesturing to his teammates, hey, I was open or whatever, yeah. but like all the time. And uh, some like sources from the article were like, listen, like Gobert, okay, Mitchell's not going to see you every single time you're down the court. And also, he Mitchell's still not he's still working on his playmaking. He's not a pure point guard. Um, and it just seems like there's kind of like a lack of understanding between like both players and how they, ex- especially how Gobert expresses like how he feels. Yeah. I'd like to imagine Gobert is like the guy at pickup hoops. Who's just, as soon as he passes it, he's like, clap it, ball, 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 ball here, 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 which, yeah, I, I don't remember. I, I thought the same thing you did. Like, I don't remember watching them and thinking, you know, Gobert jumping, doing around, doing jumping jacks under the hoop, or you know, loafing back on defense because he didn't get the ball. Like, I mean, it must just be stuff that's off camera. But um, yeah, like I said, I I don't think this is going to be a huge issue in the short term. But I do think I do think long term, it's it's just you know, for it to get to the point that there's a big expose in ESPN about it, it, it's a real thing, you know. And you you can you know, those guys can downplay it as much as they want, but um, you know, eventually that stuff comes to fruition. And when it's time for contract extensions and things like that, um, you know, that's usually where, where organizations end up having to make tough calls. Yeah, it seems like this may have actually not come out until later had it not been for the coronavirus thing. Yeah, well, that, know, like, I think, or go ahead. I mean, that just seemed like a starting point for like yeah. being able to write the article. Otherwise, it probably, what's your... Like, you're just kind of writing, like, this random hit piece in the middle of the year being like, hey, these two guys don't like each other. People kind of yeah. will get almost been like, so what? So you will right. have to wait until, like, contract times, like you mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, very true. I mean, we've seen this play out over and over, whether it's Kobe Shaq or Durant Westbrook, Simmons and Donis Jabari. Uh, Jabari. Right. Um, yeah, Sadoransky and Beal. Um, <laughs> I mean, you, it almost always ends badly, I guess, is my main point. I don't I don't know how this one's going to go. I mean, obviously, you know, Mitchell's younger. He's the more valuable all-around player. He's the face of the franchise. I think if they had to choose between the two, it would be him. Um, it just, yeah, like I said, very rarely when, when a, a bad relationship becomes public, you know, do you sit back and it's like, oh, it's been 10 years. That, that just blew over. Like, that doesn't usually happen. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you, too. It seems like Mitchell's the one they keep. You know, kind of the read you get from the article is like Gobert's clearly the annoying one, right. and he even like says as much that he's like people think I'm annoying, and my <laughs> none of my like none of my relationships are perfect. It's like what? What is happening? <laughs> I'm a pretty and good guy. <laughs> you know, so he like he, there's quotes like that, and then you know Gobert also kind of being like the lumbering big man, even though he's like basically a defensive player of the year. It's just like uh, it seems right. like two times you know, factors, two time defensive player of the year. Um, it just seems like they would choose Mitchell 
who I don't know who I they don't really fault him with that much in the article, right? Other than like not seeing Gobert as much as like a perfect point guard should, which he's not. Yeah, so, there was really no I wouldn't say it was a hit piece by any means, but more no. more of the more of the negative things that come to light are about Gobert. You know, like the one thing I think that that went the most viral on Twitter this morning was the the note in that in that article that the Jazz don't build in arm workouts for Gobert because they know he's going to do it on his own because he's so concerned about how his arms look. Dude, I, re- I read that paragraph three times because I didn't, I thought I misread yeah. it. I was like, I can't be like, that can't be a real thing. Yeah, totally real. It's like, that's insane. Okay. All right. So we just said like, he's just going to take care of that himself. Um, <laughs> just a yeah, flex I don't on know. Instagram. Yeah, the way it was included, too, it was just at the bottom. It was like one sentence at the bottom of a paragraph that didn't necessarily have anything to do with what was written above it. But I, I forget, what was it Tim McMahon who wrote that? I, yeah, I forget already. Like, but Probably felt obligated. To oh, just yeah, exactly. <laughs> you get a nugget like that. He's just like, I got to get this in there somewhere. <laughs> okay, um, last thing before we close this out. We got our first look at the, are they just calling it the Giannis 2 or the Freak 2 today? I don't know, actually. What are the first ones called? Are they are they just called the freak? Maybe. Sound like a fifty-five year old man. <laughs> are those are those those new freaks you got on? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, the Zoom Freak One. So I assume these would be the Zoom Freak Twos. Okay. I like them. Uh, the interesting. This is kind of like I wouldn't say it's like a leaked image because it came from ESPN. Um, Eric Woodward uh had the image so you know we kind of just have this one look at it right now but i like them i like them better than the ones i'm on record as saying the ones were pretty bad i think they look like the type of nike basketball shoes that you like only find at kohl's i (laughs) just thought they were really underwhelming especially for a shoe named after a guy called the freak i I thought they'd go a little (laughs) more off the wall like this this one uh the photo that was going around is more of a representation of of kind of what i thought we'd see with the ones but I like them a lot. They, they kind of look like a mix of the KDs and the Kobe's, which I believe Giannis wore Kobe's up until he had his own shoe. Um, but we're also reaching a point in in basketball shoes where like we've we've done it all at this point. So it's it's kind of hard to make like a totally original shoe at this point. But overall, I like these. I am I have a really hard time like separating the design from the or like the actual shoe from the colorway. Yeah, and I really hate the colorway on the on the leaked photos or whatever we want to call the photos. I like, I think it's horrible, but I think the shoe is better. I agree with you on that. Um, the shoe definitely looks better. I have you have you did you like try on a pair of the the original Greeks like the Greek freaks? No, I don't. To see I don't shop at Kohl's really. <laughs> so I don't. I don't even know how these shoes feel. So hopefully they they improved the inside too, but. Like I remember, I remember trying on. Uh, did you ever try on like those original like D Rose shoes from Adidas, the super lightweight ones? And that was like the whole uh, thing. Like, He's the lightest shoes ever. No, I, I don't think so. I was never a big D Rose guy. Um, okay. So no. Okay, I tried those on, and it was like one of those situations where it's like I can't wear these. Like yeah. there's no material here, and I just switched to like Hyper Dunks or whatever. Yeah. I, I will say a reasonable number of NBA players seem to be wearing the ones during the season, right? Like I know there was a photo yesterday that the Lakers posted. Deion Waiters was working out in them. So I think that's usually like the measurement is like if guys who aren't your teammates 
are just putting these on around the league, like that means they're at the very least really comfortable. Yeah, that, that has to be the case then. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised that he goes with the low tops, right? Like somebody with like legs that long and somebody who's that tall, like it, it is, it's kind of weird that, you know, you'd think he'd go, go higher, but um, yeah, overall, I, I, I think, can we give these the Rotowire stamp of approval? I, I think we can. Yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully we get better colorways at some point here. Um, but I think that'll do it for this episode. I'm, I'm out the rest of the week, but you will be back with Ken for sure. Possibly Shannon later this week. Yeah, uh, both tomorrow. Oh, wow. uh, yeah, we're shooting for like a 1 p.m. Central time. Uh, I'll be What's going to the, the office. It's a whole thing. Uh, you know, <laughs> hopefully not the exact same things we just talked about. But uh, you know, maybe we'll be able to break some news about like uh, Giannis, you know, like a uh, freak two colorway, like Rotowire colorway. <laughs> uh, yeah, hopefully that happens. Is that are we, are we announcing that tomorrow already? uh well i mean they need to get back to us after they hear this pod oh my god um okay well yeah keep me posted on that i guess <laughs> uh I, I, I have no doubt that ken will have an entire itinerary that he'll want to get through so you guys will be good Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.